you know, a lot of people, I think, when they think about podcasting, they think about it, it's an audio medium. You know, why would someone who can't hear want to listen to a podcast? Well, you know, it's not as black and white as just like, this person can't hear. There's all different levels of, you know, hearing disabilities and additionally, people who have cognitive disabilities. This is the Pod On Podcast. We're your host, TJ Bonavatura, that's me, and Julian Lewis, that's me. As founders of a podcast media company, we had to start a podcast. So join us each episode as we and our guests drop knowledge on podcasting for you, the curious and scrappy podcaster. Welcome back to the Pod On Podcast. We are excited today to talk with Sage Levine. I first stumbled upon Sage Levine when she wrote an article in Podcast Movement regarding accessibility. And so I reached out because I wanted to learn more. But before we dive into that, Sage, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself to our listeners? Sure. So I'm Sage. I am the broadcast manager for More Creative Studios. We're a HubSpot partner agency located in New York. And we do web design content creation, but we also have a podcast department. And that's what I run. So tell us a little bit more about Mori Creative Studio and what exactly it means to kind of run that studio. Sure. So we have kind of a long storied history. Our founder, Jed Mori, he founded the Long Island Press, which is a newspaper on Long Island. It was one of the top alt-weeklies when he owned it. And that's where we started. So strong roots in journalism. From there, you know, as print died, we kind of <laughs> we kind of moved over to becoming a digital agency. And that's where we are today. So we found HubSpot, which if for people who don't know, it's a CRM, CMS. So we build all our websites on there. It, we're just like a typical marketing agency, but we focus on inbound content creation. And when I started, I started as a designer. But over over the time that I was there, they realized that I was passionate about podcasts. And I, you know, I've been listening to podcasts, I think, for 12 or 13 years since I was for a long time. I don't know how I started listening to them, but I just found them and I've been listening ever since. So when they found that out, they were like, you know, we're we're serious about podcasting. We had two podcasts at the time, one that I produced called Inbound and Down and another one, our social justice podcast called Newsbeat. So those were the two we had running. I started producing and then from there, when we, we realized we should get serious about it as an offering, they asked me to lead it. So I lead our broadcast division, which also includes our video. So we produce videos for clients. And that's really where we are today. So I want to go into, since you've been in podcasting for quite a bit now, a lot longer than most people have, what are some trends that you've seen? Because you're working with, it sounds like from a perspective of with corporate clients potentially, right? So we're starting to see podcasting go from just individuals who want to talk about a project that they're passionate about to now corporations and organizations now using it for their brand awareness efforts and even more so now with everything going on with the global pandemic. So can you talk a little bit about like what you've seen, what Maury is working with in terms of creating content for those organizations or individuals who want to get involved in podcasting? Yeah. Definitely. So you're spot on there about corporations using podcasting. I think they realize it's a way to get in their consumers' ears in a way that television can't because we skip our ads, you know, so no one watches commercials anymore. And if they do, they're not paying attention. They're on their phones. With a branded podcast, you know, which is a podcast that could be sponsored by a corporation, people are listening. And 
regardless if it's if it's exactly, you know, we always use the example like a Whole Foods podcast. They're not going to say, okay, check out what we have in this aisle. It's going to be about a sustainable lifestyle or organic produce and that type of thing, which just kind of folds people more into the brand and becoming brand evangelists. So kind of the trend we've seen is bigger organizations and corporations using podcasting as a way to build their following, to build evangelists. And that's, it's, it's something we talk about internally because HubSpot, they, they pioneered inbound marketing, which is marketing that is holistic and helpful. And it is, it basically, you want the, your customers to come to you rather than you going to the customer. So instead of billboards and, and cold calls and direct mailing, you're, you're creating content that they want to, they want to listen. They want to listen, they want to read it. So podcasting is just the next logical extension of inbound marketing. So it, it kind of all fit together. So seeing the the trend of, of more companies, like I even saw, I think Kraft is doing a new branded podcast. And it really is an amazing way to engage with listeners. And I think the trend with the individual consumer or the individual person who's creating a podcast, you know, not you guys necessarily because you're podcasting experts, but you know, your friend who wants to create a podcast about sports. I think the trend is that the bar has just been raised exponentially because it's no longer acceptable to put out a low-fidelity podcast. You know, it's no longer acceptable to just have an unedited three-hour rambling podcast because no one's going to listen. So the trend is just, if you really want to do it, you need to you need to do your research, you need to have the right equipment, and you need to be talking about something. What's your edge initiative? So I think that's been the trend in podcasting in the last couple of years. I absolutely love the idea of using it as like a way to create content so you can get those inbound leads. You know, coming from a sales background, we often reference it on the show that, you know, like both TJ and I were coming from the sales side of like kind of the the digital industry or like the technical industry, I guess, if you want to call it that. And like for me to have to find the contact, call somebody and be like, hey, do you want to buy this? It's just like, it's, it's really hard. <laughs> and, you know, like the most qualified lead is somebody who already knows about your company. And so using podcasting where they can hear your voice and it doesn't have to be exactly like, you know, we have produce on aisle X. It's like talking about like what the company believes in. And then people fall in love with your podcast. They fall in love with your company. It just makes that that much easier for them to buy. So I absolutely love, I love seeing this trend and I, and I love that you identified that. I want to talk about just really quickly, like some creative ways that you've seen organizations do branded podcasts, because I think too often, Julie and I, and we've talked this before in previous episodes, is everyone's trying to figure out like what the silver bullet is to make a successful podcast. But I think that's what makes the industry really unique is that there is no silver bullet. Everyone can do a, an episode or a show that is as long as they want, as short as they want, and as creative as they want. So have you had any experience with any companies doing really just interesting things in, in, in the podcast industry? So, you know, that's an interesting question. Specifically, our clients know, I mean, not that it's not interesting, but we're not working with the whole foods of the world necessarily. I think you're definitely correct in that there is no formula. So I think what makes what makes it interesting is when you really can figure out what you're speaking to. So I like to think about, I mean, in podcasting, if you if someone asked you the biggest trend right now, you'd probably say true crime. At least that's what I'd say. So there are just a thousand true crime podcasts out there. And I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of stories to be talked about, but I think the people who have found success in it, they're they're telling the story properly. So it's not just 
people reading off Wikipedia. It's creating a narrative, you know, fleshing the story out. So I think that's one thing. I also think with the branded podcasts, with corporations, what they can do best is kind of almost not have it be about them at all, like I said, but even take it a step further. So I remember MailChimp sponsored a podcast a little while back. I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head, but it was about music, which has nothing to do with MailChimp. You know, they're they're an email marketing platform, but they they use their name, they use their contacts and got music professionals and people you would want to listen to. And it's just kind of a brand awareness thing. So I think that's something that's really interesting that's happening is kind of producing content that maybe isn't isn't going to get you the most leads per se, but it does establish you. And then you can create the podcast that is about, you know, email marketing. So I think that's something that type of formula is really successful. Yeah, that's a great point. I think that last thing there is don't feel like you have to do one series to to, to conquer them all, right? Like if you're a corporation, why not have one that's more dedicated to the brand awareness, branded content? And why not do one that's more specific to the users of the content or driving more leads? We have a client right now that wants to use podcasts as a replacement to their annual marketing conference. So instead of doing all of their budget for one specific week where they're going to have all their potential leads coming into one spot, let's just do a continuous series where we're going to give them more awareness about what we're doing, what they're doing with their clients, what they're doing with the product, what the roadmap is, what the CEO is thinking about, so on and so forth. So I think that's really interesting. But I know that's not why we had you onto the podcast. We had you here for a specific reason. I know I want you to take this one. So Sage, we brought you here today to talk about how to create an accessible podcast. And we definitely want to dive into that but I think first and foremost, we want to learn from you, you know, what is accessibility? And then also, why is the podcast industry well positioned to have a major impact on that? Yeah, so accessibility is, it's it's a big question to answer what is accessibility. But we can flash back a little bit to actually 30 years ago this year, the Americans with Disability Act was created. And that was more about infrastructure and architecture. So making sure there are ramps where there are stairs or elevators. And when it was created, the internet really wasn't a thing. You know, it was very nascent if, if you know, not widespread access. And so because of that, the web kind of got left behind. So in 1999, the web content accessibility guidelines were created, and that was specifically about the web. So it just means web accessibility, digital accessibility, all synonyms. It's It just means that everywhere, technologies, apps, websites are accessible to people with disabilities. So simply that. And the reason, you know, you might not think about podcasts as included in web accessibility, but when you have a podcast, unless you're burning it to a cassette, it is only accessible online or on an app. So it is this, it's kind of this siloed medium that if not, if we don't apply the same guidelines, it's inaccessible. And the reason, you know, I, I was thinking, why, why is podcasting ripe to move this forward? And I realized, I mean, there's, there's a lot of different ways. But one of that I realized, and it's kind of what we touched on before, is that podcasting is an, is an industry of self-learners. So most of the people out there they didn't study broadcasting. They've never done radio before. They were people who said, I have an idea. I'm going to research microphones. I'm going to think of a topic. I'm going to listen to other interviewers, figure out how to interview people, or you know, figure out what I'm just going to talk about myself. And they did it. 
So there are over a million podcasts. So that's a million self-learners out there. So if every self-learner just said, hey, I'm going to learn how to make my podcast accessible, it would be the norm. And then, you know, I'm sure some of those overlap with web designers. And then maybe every web designer out there could be to could learn to create a, an accessible website. And, you know, it's interesting to talk about because accessibility is really something that's not taught in school. You know, I, I went to school for graphic design and I took web design and I was never even I wasn't taught anything about this. And most designers aren't. And even when you do like coding boot camps, they're not teaching you how to design accessibly. So it's something that we have to sort of get in the zeitgeist so that way people want to learn about it in school. And, and hopefully almost like it's a little backwards, but then there will be schooling about it and accessible podcasts will be taught in broadcast classes. So I think that's where I discovered the idea. And and as a podcaster myself, I produce podcasts. It just seemed second nature that these should be accessible as well. I'm glad that you decided to write the article, and it's very timely because of the recent lawsuit that went against Gimlet Media. I don't know every detail with that lawsuit, but I know they were sued for not having their podcast be accessible, if I'm not mistaken. So I guess the big question is, how can podcasters make sure that their shows or episodes are accessible? Right. So it's another big question. You know, <laughs> I think the number one way is transcripts. And I believe that is what Gimlet was sued. I think it was a class action suit because they did not have their podcasts transcribed. And I get it. It's a long, arduous process to transcribe your podcast, especially if it's an hour long. And, you know, there's machine learning out there that can do it. But then again, there's the argument that if you don't correct that, go through and make sure you have names correct or the words correct. It's not fully accessible because you're not delivering the same experience. So number one is definitely transcribing. So that's what I recommend. And then the other things I kind of mentioned in the article get a little more technical, like making sure that your your artwork is is accessible. So when you're on Spotify or Apple Podcasts and you're browsing for a new podcast, if you're just looking without you know, you might search for a specific topic or you just might say, hey, that looks interesting, just like when you're in a bookstore. And the thing that catches your eye is the artwork. So if your artwork is inaccessible, people are never going to listen to your podcast. People might not understand what inaccessible artwork is, but if the text is too small, if the color ratio is off. So I think it's like 25% of men in America have red-green color blindness. So if you're using those colors, everything will just look gray. Someone could just see a gray square and be like, I don't know what this podcast is and I'll never listen. So that's a great place to start. Another place is having your website be accessible. And that one is definitely a heavier lift because if you're if you're just a podcaster out there, you might not know how to code an accessible website, but there's tons of organizations, tons of companies like my agency. There's tools you can use like AudioEye, which is an accessibility tool. And they do, they have like a managed service feature where they can basically tell you the recommendations to make your podcast accessible. And luckily with a, with a podcast website, it might be a smaller site. You might not have hundreds of site pages, so it might not be a crazy lift there. And then social media, and this is something I was talking about internally with my organization yesterday, is that we don't really think about social media as being another means that people with disabilities would want to use because it's visual. But people with screen readers can still use social media, and you can use you can employ alt text across all your social media. So if you look on Twitter, they have an option to add alt text. Same with LinkedIn, same with Facebook. And you can also, if you're posting a video, 
add transcripts to the video. You can embed them or you can upload the, you know, the they call that's the SRT file. So those are a lot of ways. I know that was a lot to digest in like two minutes, <laughs> but that's kind of that's that's the quick five steps that I would recommend. Yeah. And those are those are all great things. And, you know, the the, the moment you sent the article, I sent it directly to TJ because he had come to me a while ago when we first started talking about like what we wanted Studio Pod to be. And, you know, for me, I was really keen on the idea of making sure that we're building like a diverse company, like diverse in background, diverse in ideas, diverse in, you know, like the way people look and what industries are coming from. And, you know, he came to me and he talked to an ex- experience that he had um, that he'll let him speak to, but it was around accessibility. And, you know, for me, like working in digital advertising, I had heard it before and I like had more of an idea, like for the cover art, for example, and like how two com- colors blend together and making sure that you're conscious of that. But beyond that, like it wasn't my first thought. And so I'd love to for TJ to kind of talk about that experience and, and why we decided that we really want to focus on it. Yeah. It first came to me when I had a friend who is suffering from a degenerative disease where she's losing her eyesight and hearing. And she came to me and says, I love podcasts, but I know I'm not going to be able to follow them in the future because they're just not accessible. Like I wish there was something that I could follow along with the transcript that would allow me to essentially read as I'm hearing it. And as I lose my hearing, I could still follow along. And right away, I sent it to Julian. I'm like, we got to think about something like this because it is so true. There is no true accessibility within podcasts. You did mention, Sage, that there are ways to do transcription through Rev.com is a very popular one out there, which is machine learning. There's another tool out there called Descript, which will, it's not meant for accessibility, but if you go through and read it and you're able to change the, the text as you listen, it then will allow anybody with that public link to be able to watch or read as they're listening as well and the words will follow along so that's another way for our clients to potentially use that or anybody out there that wants to use it i guess with the recent lawsuit that came with gimlet right i'm assuming that that class action lawsuit was strategic they're the biggest podcast production company out there they're owned by spotify where do you think that this is going to potentially go? Do we think that, that they think it's going to be more prevalent? Are companies thinking about this? Like what are the trends going forward within within this, in your opinion, of course? Yeah, I think just like with with web accessibility, to, to pull from that frame of reference because it's kind of a little more, there's more history there. Bigger companies were getting sued. Domino's, Beyonce, <laughs> like people who had who couldn't access the websites, they were getting sued, which brought it to the forefront of a lot of people's, a lot of companies, you know, they were worried about the legality and getting sued and the monetary cost. So I think just like that, podcasts will start to follow along as well. I think corporations like Spotify, they're going to have to make everything accessible, including their app, which I don't know if it's fully accessible or not. Right now, I, I think they're working on having transcripts in app. I've read that. But they're going to have to to kind of shape shape the way they're they're doing it. If they're they want to, they're investing you know billions of dollars in podcasting. So if they want to be this industry leader, they have actually a great chance here to set an example for every other app, every other company out there that's producing podcasts. So I think more and more people are going to kind of get on board with this. And you know, it's actually something that I wrote about in the article as well that there isn't a fully accessible podcast software out there right now. There is no solution that is 
you know, their media player, like the embedded one is accessible. Their back end with the analytics is accessible. Their front end user website, you know. So it's a market gap that someone could jump in and say, hey, this is the first accessible podcast solution from A to Z. And, you know, I think Spotify, I guess technically they could be hosting since they have Anchor, but, you know, it's a little limited. They could be it if they wanted to. I think I think that's a great Great point. I think Spotify or Apple, it's going to be one of them as the market leaders where most podcast listeners are going to listen to their podcasts are going to need to make the changes. So those like my friend who has Usher syndrome to be able to read along or listen to along or, or be able to make sure that maybe it's a quick, like you said, you had mentioned there's a tool that will be able to convert different podcast arts to be accessible for those who have who, you know, are colorblind, right? There's, there's gotta be some sort of change. And that's why I would imagine someone came after Gimlet or the class action suit came after Gimlet because they have to deal with Spotify and Spotify can hopefully make the change and they have the resources to do so. But until someone does, no one's, everyone's going to stay static, unfortunately, which I hope, you know, there's gotta be networks that get involved. Studio pop has got to get involved. Different production companies got to get involved to really put it in the forefront of let's make sure your podcast is going to be available to anyone out there. Yeah, and I do want to just take a quick step back with all your tips in terms of, of how we could, at StudioPod, as we're working with different partners who are creating podcasts, can start to help with the accessibility piece. So from a social media, like promotion side of things, like an audiogram you know, with the what's being voiced being transcribed on there is one way to do so if I heard you properly. And then with the actual podcast itself, would you recommend putting the transcription in the show notes or having it live like on the website so somebody can like listen on and kind of read because it gives like the format for a longer episode to be able to read the whole thing? I just want to make sure that we're clear on that so we can we can start doing that. Yeah, that's a great question. And not one I have a definitive answer to because I'm not sure that people would be reading along in app, but I don't know for sure. So, but as far as putting your transcript on the website, Regardless of if you're putting it in the app also, you should definitely put on the website because there is so much SEO power. So for, you know, for maybe just podcasters and not people in the marketing space, that's it's search engine optimization and it's basically functioning as a blog. So a lot of people, they don't they don't really do full workups with their podcasts that describe it. They just put up the show notes because the search engine reads it. They read the content. And if I search for, you know, podcasting and accessibility, if you have the transcript, your blog could be served and people are reading that and discovering you. So regardless of putting it in the app, definitely put on your website. I, I've been wondering about that a lot myself, if, if there is a value to putting it in app. And it's something I'd, I'd love to have some more like user research to see if some people would be interested in that. I do think that apps might start delivering that themselves because all the apps, I mean, Google, they're transcribing all the podcasts anyway. You you see, if you search for something, something podcast, we now have a podcast carousel on Google, which we never had. You have to be very deliberate about what you're searching for though. So I'd have to search for accessible podcast podcast, <laughs> which is, I guess it's a little confusing, but you know, and then this podcast might come up. But Eventually, if I'm just searching for podcast accessibility, you might also have the podcast carousel there. So there's a lot of stuff happening behind the scenes there in terms of transcripts as far as accessibility and as SEO. And another great point that I hadn't even thought about, but I was discussing, and it is in the article, is that 
people who aren't native English speakers, if you're an English speaking podcast, they can, it helps them, you know, it helps them familiarize themselves with the language and it helps them follow along and understand. And, you know, a lot of people, I think, when they think about podcasting, they think about it, it's an audio medium. You know, why would someone who can't hear want to listen to a podcast? Well, you know, it's not as black and white as just like this person can't hear. There's all different levels of, you know, disability, hearing disabilities. And additionally, people who have cognitive disabilities. If you like to read along as you listen to digest content, that's another reason to put it there. So there is really no answer to that question. But it's just, it's important. <laughs> That's all I can say, you know? The one thing I think there, I mean, there's an, I don't want to say an easy solve because I'm not a product manager at, at Spotify or anything like that, is they are releasing uh, video to be accessible or, or available within their their app. So that's a good way where maybe if you're doing video, you can transcribe it like you would do an audiogram, but it would just be more of a longer form piece of content. Or instead of, if you don't want to film yourself, you just put up the transcript right there. So as you would listen to almost like a music video on YouTube that has just lyrics, you'd be listening to a podcast that has just a talk track of, of everyone that's participating in that particular show. So I think there are ways that people can be creative to make sure that they are accessible. But again, it goes back to the point of making sure that these players are, are accessible themselves. So that way, the networks, the producers, the, the editors, and everyone else can follow along to make sure that they are accessible as well. Yeah. Yeah. And to give like a tangible way of like that we're cre even creating our audiograms just to help people, like TJ mentioned the tool Descript. So once we have the audio from this podcast, we upload it into script and transcribes it. And it's a way that we can edit it in line. But the beautiful thing about it is like when I create an audiogram, I take a segment of it, I paste it in its own composition, and I do a little bit of editing. And then I essentially have the ability, and I'm pointing at a screen that's not here, but I have the ability to download not only the audio, but also to your point, Sage, the SRT file, right? And so I can use that to create an audiogram in a tool like veed.io and or, as you mentioned, some of these social platforms are allowing for you to insert that SRT file as you're creating the post. And so it's really that simple to start. There's definitely a long way for us to go in terms of like transcribing the full episodes and putting it on our website and making sure that we have the capacity to do so. But starting is like the, the key and then continuing as technology evolves to make it more like easier for you to make your podcast more accessible. Yeah. And I think another kind of good tip is YouTube, which you mentioned before, you know, you can upload, let's say you make a YouTube, the dimensions for YouTube of your of your artwork, you upload that with your episode audio, YouTube does have an automatic transcription feature, you put it in and you can fix it there. And that's also another, you know, SEO way because YouTube is the second largest search engine. So you put it there, people are discovering your podcast. So there are ways that help podcast discoverability and also help accessibility. So it's kind of a no-brainer for, for the creators out there. And I think, Julian, what you said about starting is really important because if you're a podcast and you have five seasons and 100 episodes, it seems really daunting because, you know, there's there's a whole backlog. But just start with the next episode and start with the next episode. And, you know, I've heard of other podcasts that fans, they love it so much, they'll transcribe things for you. I mean, I'm not saying do like a paid and exposure type, but sometimes people are interested because they want to get involved. And when they hear it's a mission that you have to make it accessible, they want to help. So there's definitely ways to engage your community. If, you know, maybe you don't have the time to sit down and transcribe 700 hours of content. 
Sage, this has been all extremely valuable information. TJ and I have action items that we're definitely going to take from this. And we'd love to hear any other advice that you'd love to give the Curious and Scrappy podcaster who's our audience. Yeah, I mean, I think we covered a lot of ground here. So definitely check out the article, not to plug myself necessarily, but I do think it lays it out in a more linear fashion that might be easier to digest. But if you're just out there doing a podcast by yourself, find a community, find, you know, maybe people who are passionate about also creating an accessible podcast and brainstorm with them. And I think in general, if I had overall podcast advice, it's it's quality. And, you know, that might sound a little harsh, but you don't have to release all of your early episodes. You know, you could do 50 test episodes and then start releasing them because there are a million podcasts and the barrier to entry is low, but the barrier to discoverability is high. So it's really exciting to create a podcast, especially when you have something you're passionate about, but you want to make sure you're doing it justice. So if you're going to be the only podcaster talking about this really niche thing, make sure it's a great podcast accessibility is part of that. So it should all be part of this grand plan of of quality, of quality content, quality audio, and making sure everyone can enjoy it. Amazing. Sage, thank you. How can anyone reach out to you? Obviously, you have the, the article, but specifically, if someone wants to have a further conversation or reach out to you at More Creative Studio, how can they do that? Sure. So I'm actually not a huge social media person myself, which is kind of funny. So I don't really have personal social, but you can definitely connect with me on LinkedIn if you just search for me, Sage Levine, or at moricreative.com. And I would love if everyone took a listen to our podcasts. We have three in-house podcasts that I'm very proud of. So we have one called Inbound and Down, which is we talk about accessibility a lot. We talk about marketing, SEO, design, anything in that kind of greater industry. We have one called Grow for Good, which is talks to owners of for-profit businesses who are doing good in the world. So we've talked to the CEO of HubSpot. We talked to the CEO of Bombas, the CEO of American Organic Energy. So a lot of these really great companies who have really good social missions. So it is also kind of relevant to accessibility because it's all about inclusion and, you know, doing good in the world. And then we have our third podcast called Newsbeat, which is a social justice podcast, and it combines hip hop and news. So they interview, you know, different scholars, different journalists, anyone, you know, any expert, and they have local, usually to New York, hip-hop artists create lyrics specifically about that topic. So their their stuff is so engaging and fun. I, I work on it and I help. I don't produce it specifically, so I feel okay to, like, really tout it because I'm a fan more than I am just, like, you know, nepotism, it's my podcast. But, you know, they're, they're doing great stuff there. So that's really, that's how you can find me. That's awesome. And while you're doing that, I think you got a subscriber, at least for Newsbeat, <laughs> uh, but I'm sure you got one for, for the other ones and you'll have one in me as well. So Sage, thank you again so much. Thank you. It was my pleasure. In this episode, we talked about the Usher syndrome. And so I want to give a quick shout out to the Usher 1F Collaborative, which is a patient-led research network. I mentioned my friend Dory, she has Usher syndrome, and we recently did a fundraiser for her at my local uh, gym. It was such a, a fun experience. And so if anyone wants to go and support Usher syndrome, they can go to usher1f.org. Julian and I, on behalf of StudioPod, will be making a donation. But again, if you want to go and donate to that cause, it's super awesome. Again, it's patient-led and it's usher1f.org. That's U-S-H-E-R-1-F dot O-R-G, usher1f.org. Thank you. Bye, on.
Every episode of the Pod On Podcast is produced and edited by Studio Pod Media. For more information about our work and our clients, go to studiopodsf.com. Shout out to Gary Oakland for the fire track. Gary O!